Hey everyone, welcome back to Industry Therapy. Today we're going to talk with a structural engineer, Lemmy Racinos, to get his perspective on the benefits of the TIA 5053A standard and how he uses it every day. This podcast is provided by the Telecommunications Industry Foundation. This podcast, as well as much more additional content, can be found at tiffonline.org. Please welcome your hosts, Michelle Kang and Scott Stecker. Lemmy is licensed structural engineer with Collier's Engineering and Design. He has over 10 years of experience in the telecommunications industry. And Lemmy was also one of the initial contributors of the original TA 5053 standard. Welcome to the show, Lemmy. Thanks, Michelle. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Doing well. It's a good day. Appreciate you being on. All right, let me to start off, uh, your involvement with the TIA 5053 standard goes way back. Can you explain a little bit how and when you got involved? So I, I started getting involved, I believe, Michelle, was actually when, when you started getting involved in 2015. You joined, and because you and I were working together at the time, we joined the group that was working on TIA 5053 just to really see where we could help the industry, where we could use some of our expertise expertise on mount analyses to help develop a standard that could be used by the industry. And that turned into really working through a, a pre-existing standard that one of the carriers had and looking at how we could take that client-specific standard, broaden it a little bit, and apply it to the entire industry in a way that would be usable and understandable by engineers really through every single aspect of of, of a site as it gets constructed and designed. Okay. And Talk a little bit about how you use the standard as an engineer, because from what we understand, based on the objectives, there are multiple different uses for an engineer with this standard. Yeah, so I, I think as, as an engineer using the standard day in, day out, there's really two main applications that I would use it for. One is if a client approaches me and says, can you specify a new mount for this specific loading? I can look at section four of TIA 5053A, look at the site-specific criteria that the client wants, look at the site-specific loading, use that, go through step-by-step of section four. I I think it's outlined really well in 5053A, especially in the examples and in the appendix as far as how to take site-specific loading and determine a rating. I would then look at that rating and say, for example, after I look at the exposure, the wind speed, everything, and the loading, and I determine that the rating required is a M1200, uh, 1600R. I could then go to the client and say, here's the rating that's required for this specific site. They can then go to various manufacturers and say, this is the minimum rating I need for this site. What products do you have that I can use to install my loading? The, the other big use for, for the mount is, let's say I have an existing rated mount that has been installed and the customer says, I procured from manufacturer a, a M1700, 1300R mount, right? Here's the new loading that we want to install. Is this mount going to be adequate for the loading? At that point, I have two options. I could do a full rigorous structural analysis and say, here's your very site-specific loading and site-specific results. but if the existing loading and the proposed loading is going to be installed within the horizontal and vertical eccentricities that are allowed by 5053A, there's some really good tables at the end of the standard that show kind of what those tolerances for vertical and horizontal offsets are. If the loading's installed within those tolerances, 
I can look at that loading, run a quick calculation based on the steps of section four, and then say, hey, your final loading configuration is only 1,300 pounds. You have a 1,700 pound rated mount, so you're good for this installation without having to do a full rigorous analysis. Nice. So let me, let's say I am a brand new AE and I don't really know much about 5053A. I can see it's a standard and people say it's so easy to use, but what are some of the tools that I can build myself that are going to make it easier to apply and easier to work, easier to fold into my workflows? That's a really good question. If you're doing mount analyses already and you have some sort of Excel or MathCAD or some sort of tool that calculates the forces that you would apply to an antenna pipe in your mount analysis, you really are 80% of the way there. So what I can do is I can take that tool or you, what you can do is you can take that tool that you already have, make some adjustments to it so that when you input your loading, it will give you a force that is calculated in accordance with 5053A. And then you can do an apples apples comparison with the force from that tool to the mount that you're analyzing or wanting to compare against or to a new proposed mount that you're trying to see if the proposed mount will be adequate for your site-specific loading. Gotcha. And there's some new sections in there about unbalanced loading. So let's say the output of your comparison puts a whole lot of load on one half of this mount. What are the, what are the kind of criteria surrounding what does and does not apply for classified mounts? It's a really good question. I, I'm always going to refer back to, I think it's figure five. I'm looking at it right now in 5053A. That kind of gives you a visual representation of the loading. Pretty much what the standard tries to do is make sure that when you do have loading on a mount, it's balanced as much as possible across the entire face. If you have four antennas, you want to have them evenly spaced and you want to have equal roughly weight and wind area on each side of the center line of the mount. If you have a situation like you're saying where it's unbalanced, there's a pretty straightforward formula in figure five that walks through. You really want to stay within 20%. What do I mean by 20%? I mean, if you have 40% of your load on one side of the mount, you would have 60% on the other side of the mount. If you go outside of that where you have a 30, 70 unbalanced loading scenario, at that point, there's really two options. One, the 5053 classification no longer applies and you have to move to a site-specific analysis. Or two, as the A&E, you can reach out to the mount manufacturer and say, hey, did you design your mount for unbalanced loading situations that go outside of this 40-60 split? And if the mount manufacturer says, yes, I did, I actually designed it for a 20-80 split, you're at 70%, you're within that specific rating that the mount manufacturer considered for unbalanced loading and you can still use the 5053. How much importance do you apply to that communication link being able to actually reach out to the manufacturer and get that information? Oh, I, I think it's super important because one, I think there's a big misconception in the industry that a 5053 rating is just a mount manufacturer saying, well, here's the numbers that this mount is good for and I'm done. What actually is happening behind the scenes, and I know you guys do this and other manufacturers do as well, is you're doing a full structural analysis, 3D RISA model or a Bentley model, some sort of 3D modeling software. You're doing a full analysis and applying loads on that model until the mount gets to 100% capacity stress ratio. Then at that point, you're looking at the loads and saying, all right, this mount was at 100% when I had 1,700 pounds on each antenna pipe. My mount rating that I'm going to publish is M1700. So as an engineer, 
me knowing that the mount manufacturers are doing their due diligence, that they have engineering consultants or in-house engineering staff that can answer some of my more technical questions, it's super important for me to have that open channel communication that I can reach out and say, hey, I don't understand this aspect of what you're doing in your mount rating or help me understand your unbalanced loading. Help me understand how you got this rating. I'm looking at this and I'm seeing something slightly different. So it's definitely really important for the A&E to have a a good open channel communication with the manufacturers and on the flip side for the manufacturers to be able to provide that support to the A&Es and to the contractors and to the end users. Now, let me, what's the difference in how you as the engineer approach specifying a new mount before and after the 5053 standard was released? Oh man, that's, that's a good question. Um, before it was really a shot in the dark. I was taking a mount model, either one that I had pre-built or one that I would build. Let's say I wanted to specify a mount for manufacturer A, I would go and build that model. I would apply the site-specific loading. I would analyze it and hope that it passed. If for some reason that mount model failed, I would go to the next stronger version of that model, analyze everything again, and okay, now it passed at 87%. So I, I would tell my client, okay, after doing two or three iterations of analyses, here's the mount that will work, you know, mount manufacture a model 12 foot face heavy duty. But on my end, I'm doing two or three full analyses to get to that, to get to that final conclusion. With the 5053, I don't have to do any sort of analysis. Like I said, the, the mount manufacturer has already done a full rigorous analysis on the front end. So I just need to use my engineering tool, put the loading in, calculate what that force is, and then look through a catalog from five mounts that a manufacturer provides and see which one is going to be most cost effective and which one is going to have the most additional capacity if that's something that the end client wants and then be able to tell them here's the mount I recommend the 12 foot medium duty sector frame actually has a rating of 1200 and 1200 but your forces are 700 so you're probably going to have about 40 percent extra capacity in that mount I'm able to do all of that without doing any rigorous analysis which makes it faster for me and honestly more cost effective for the end user as well, because I'm not charging them for a full analysis. Nice. And along with that, say I'm someone in a procurement role that has no idea what 5053A is, right? Um, I know it's about mount classification. I've heard this buzzword, obviously, listening to various media about it, but how do I use that as someone in procurement and you know, from an engineering perspective, what are some of the things that you could help me out with when I'm when I'm preparing an RFP or putting something out to bid? How does this help me? I, I, where it really, it's helpful on every single site. Where it really is going to help you is when you're looking at doing a big push. Let's say you're you're an end user and you want to build 75 new sites across I live in Tennessee, or across the state of Tennessee. And you're trying to figure out, all right, I need to put a bid out to construct these 75 new sites, and I need to put a bid out to buy what's 75 times three, you know, 225 new mounts if you're doing sector mm -hmm. frames, right? Mm -hmm. If you know that you're going to have a specific set of loading that's going to go on all the sites, what you can do is you can engage an A&E, you can engage an engineer and say, here's the loading that's going to go across all 75 of these sites. I can look at that as an engineer and say, okay, here's the maximum loading. I can look at the 75 sites and say, there's none of these that fall into any sort of site criteria that doesn't meet what the 5053 requires there's pretty good definition i believe it's in section two of the 5053 that talks about what your limitations are for wind speeds exposure topo and even if you do have topo and wind speeds that exceed 
180 miles an hour. There's a maximum PSF in general that you can use as well. So I would look at the sites and see, do any of the sites fall outside of that criteria? If they don't, I can use the 5053 in the loading, determine the mount rating, and then go back to you and say, Scott, for these 75 sites, you're going to need at maximum, the, the highest rated mount is going to be an M1200. And now you can go to your five vendors and say, please submit your mount that meets a minimum of an M1200 rating. And you know that you go to five different manufacturers, they submit five mounts that have that M1200 rating. You know that the engineering is apples to apples. They've all rated their mounts using a rigorous analysis to 5053. So you can then just only look at cost. I think previously you would have to look at cost and then also say, all right, these two mounts cost the same. But how do I know that one of these mounts is actually better than the other? There was no consensus across the industry for how mount manufacturers were providing the, quote, capacities of their mounts. With the 5053 rating, you know that you're going to get apples to apples across all five manufacturers, and then you can look at lead times, you can look at cost, you can look at preference with working with them previously or preference working with the GCs and make a determination that kind of takes all the engineering out of it because that is taken care of by the manufacturers. So you don't have to worry about what actual equipment the mounts can support and whether you're actually getting equivalent submissions from different manufacturers. And once we're down the line on these mounts are purchased, you know, you want to speak a little bit to section six and what that has to do with the backend support documentation and everything that you're going to receive from a manufacturer that meets all the requirements of 5053A. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the great things for the end users, you hit it on the head, Section 6 has specific requirements for the manufacturers on minimum documentation and minimum information they need to provide on their drawings, on their technical documents to you as the end user. So if you're an end user and you buy 75 of these mounts, you know that you're going to get enough information that you can file away. So the next time you touch that site or if someone comes and asks you for information on those mounts, you're not just giving them a cut sheet that has a mount model, a nice little 3D picture on it with nothing else on it. You know that all the information the manufacturers are required to provide includes things like what's the actual classification? You know, what is the dimensions of this mount so that you could go in and calculate site-specific wind area to apply to the tower analysis you know what are the material grades what are the the main member sizes what are the the hardware sizes are there any limitations for attaching to the tower for say tieback angles or maximum pole size minimum tower leg size all that information is required to be provided so you as the end user have a really good understanding of how constructible the mount is and really good documentation to use in the future if you ever need to look at that mount from a rigorous structural analysis. Let's say you have loading that suddenly gets cheated up by 36 inches. Your antennas are now a lot higher than the center line of the mount, or you have that unbalanced scenario where the mount wasn't designed for the unbalanced scenario. You could then do a rigorous structural analysis using TIA-222H, but all that documentation is provided so you're not going to have to map the mount. You're not going to have to make 10 different phone calls to a manufacturer saying, hey, I have this mount from two years ago. Can you tell me what size this member is? Can you tell me what steel grade that is? All of that is required to be provided up front based on the 5053. Very nice. So when you do have a change condition down the road, sounds like that makes things a little bit easier, yeah? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, if you as the end user, let's say you're, you're a carrier and 
you procured these 75 sites. And now on 30 of them, you're going to come and you're going to swap one antenna for a slightly larger antenna. If the mount was constructed correctly and the site was closed out, and you can verify that everything was installed within the tolerances of 5053. You can come to me as the A&E vendor and say, hey, look, I'm swapping this six foot antenna out for an eight foot antenna. Everything else is remaining the same. I can look at that. I can use that new eight foot antenna and whatever other equipment is going to be on that antenna pipe. Do a calculation to get that rating and say, OK, this new antenna, instead of 700 pounds, total force is going to be 1100 pounds. Hey, your mount is rated for M1200. You're still underneath that rating. Here's a letter saying that you are good to install this loading. I still don't have to do a rigorous analysis. Now, you always have the option to ask me to do a rigorous analysis, but because you have a rated mount, it's not required. The rigorous analysis has been done on the front end by the mount manufacturer already. Now, let me, you um, alluded to this earlier, but just to clarify, what's the u- usability of this standard in terms of how many mounts will fall into the, the scenario as you outlined per the limitations in 2.3 versus how many you'll have to run a full rigorous analysis to TIA 222? I'd say you're you're probably going to capture 80 to 85 percent of mounts using the 5053. You're always going to have sites and mounts that are outliers that fall outside of really the specification of 5053. You might be in a hurricane zone where the the wind speeds are higher than the maximum required wind speeds for 5053. You may be in a site that has extreme topo that when you consider the topo effects plus the exposure effects, that final PSF is greater than the PSF allowed by the 5053. Or you may have a case where you have antennas that the end user needs them at a certain center line, and the only way you can hit that is by installing them 36 inches above the mount center line. And the mount rating provided by the manufacturer was only for 12 inches or for 24 inches. So now you've you've gone outside of really the, the envelope that is captured during the original mount manufacturer analysis. So there's definitely there's definitely multiple different ways where site-specific conditions would require a rigorous analysis because the 5053 rating no longer applies. But I'd say by far and large, 80 to 85% of sites will fall within kind of the, the the end brackets as far as what is allowed by the 5053, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And okay, just to kind of wrap up here, in your opinion, what about the TI-5053A standard is most misunderstood? Oh, that is that is a really good question. I, I think there's a, there's a few things. One, I think there's a misunderstanding that the mount manufacturers aren't doing due diligence and engineering on their end. Every single rating letter, every single 5053 mount rating is supported by a rigorous mount analysis that is performed by the mount manufacturers, either by their internal engineering teams. A lot of times they use external third-party engineers. I think that's one part of it. Another part that is misunderstood is really the unbalanced loading. that was kind of a question mark in the original 5053 version. 5053A really helped clarify that a lot by adding some really useful graphics as far as what does unbalanced loading actually look like? When can you use the mount rating if you have slightly unbalanced loading versus severely unbalanced loading? So I, I think that is something that was definitely misunderstood. And because it is a new concept, it's probably going to continue to be misunderstood for a little bit. But the 5053, in my opinion, does a really good job of helping educate the users of the standard with these, these really useful graphics and really easy to follow formulas. So as long as 
and engineer Amy is looking at specifically, I think it's figure five for that balance and imbalance loading. They, they should be able to have a good understanding of that once they actually spend the time digesting what those new changes are. I, I think the last thing that is probably misunderstood is people, uh, engineers, A&Es, and really sometimes even end users, different entities in the industry, think that if you're using the 5053, you still need some sort of rigorous analysis or you still need some sort of site-specific engineering to be done beyond just using the engineering tools you have to calculate what that force is. All of that is not required. I've said it again, and I'm going to keep harping on it. The mount manufacturers have done all that due diligence and made it easy for the rest of the industry by doing rigorous analyses on the front end. So if I'm looking at a 50-53 rated mount, all I have to do is calculate the site-specific criteria and the forces for a single antenna pipe the maximum loaded one, and compare that to the rating. I don't have to do any sort of additional analysis. I don't have to do any sort of additional comprehensive report. I can provide a letter to the end user saying, the engineering has been done pretty much, and your loading configuration falls within the original engineering parameters. On the other side, if a mount manufacturer provides a rated mount and it gets installed, during installation, you don't need a follow-up site-specific analysis or a follow-up letter saying this is what the mount has been rated for signed and sealed by a PE because the mount manufacturer has already taken care of that and they can provide that to you if needed but you don't need to engage your A&E or your engineer to say can you please do a separate letter for this site or a separate full analysis because at that point you're being redundant with the engineering and the hard work that's happened on the back and the front end really from the manufacturers. How often do you run into kind of manufacturers more or less cheating the numbers Let's say you selected a mount with a high rating and then you had a condition or if someone asked you to run an analysis a few years later. Um, have you run into that at all? Not really, honestly. Um, I, I think when we first released this, that, that was honestly a concern of mine is you would have manufacturers that didn't understand how to rate their, their mounts or that cheated their numbers a little bit because they weren't doing a full rigorous analysis. What I've seen is... The mount manufacturers that do their internal ratings on their own, their level of engineering is very high quality. They have licensed PEs of their own. They have engineers that really understand 5053 and also understand TIA-222H Chapter 16. The smaller mount manufacturers that don't have those types of resources, and we've been, we participated in this, reach out to engineering firms like ourselves and ask us to do a third-party rating for them. We've, we've had manufacturers reach out to us and say, hey, I got a third-party rating. Can you double-check this for me? So what I've seen is the smaller manufacturers that may not have in-house engineering services, they're still trying to do their best by engaging really qualified and knowledgeable engineers to do their ratings for them and provide sign and seal deliverables. So I haven't run into it yet. Is Does it happen, honestly? Possibly. You know, you, you can never say never, but I, I think... All the manufacturers that I've seen and used have been pretty straightforward and open with how they're determining their ratings, and we've been able to verify that on our own independently if we've needed to. All right, Lemmy. Well, thanks for taking the time to be on our show today to talk about TA5053A, and we look forward to continuing to work with you in the future as TA5053 continues to evolve based on the needs of the industry. Awesome. Thank you, guys. It was, it was a pleasure, and I enjoyed it. 
Thank you for listening to Industry Therapy presented by the Telecommunications Industry Foundation. The information expressed herein are the opinions of the individuals. They are not meant to supersede regulations, standards, or AHJ requirements that govern the referenced subject matter. To view additional TIFF podcasts and other educational content, or to submit a potential topic for a future podcast, please visit our website, tifonline.org.